As we continue our worship this morning, we're going to continue the story of Jesus. And as we pick up the story in the gospel reading today, we're going to find Jesus underneath a a tree in a place a little bit like this. After, After Jesus rode the donkey and and had his Palm Sunday parade into the city of Jerusalem. He spent a few days teaching in the temple, and then, and then one night Jesus sat at a table, and he broke bread with his disciples. And then after supper that night, Jesus left the upper room where he was gathered with his disciples, and he and, and a few of his friends went outside. They went to a place where there was an orchard filled with trees. They went to a place where there was a sort of garden, a place called Gethsemane. And I'm going to let Katie Clark Flores tell you exactly what happened next. Hi, church. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a few years ago when I was serving another congregation, a member of the church came to me and he said, Pastor Jeremy, I sure hope that you can do me a favor. He said, I've got these friends and and they're the most terrific people and they have this deep faith and they would like to get married. And they want to get married in a church. And, and I'm hoping that we could have the wedding here at this church and that you could do the wedding. Uh, would it be possible, do you think, for you to meet with them and to see if you can put a wedding together? And I said, well, that sounds fantastic. They sound like terrific people. And, and I would love to meet them. And we can get together and see if we can make something happen. And the church member, he said, oh, that's, that's such a relief. He said, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you so much, Pastor. He said, by the way, there's, there's just one catch He said, the wedding is this weekend. Uh, This sort of thing happens to pastors more than you might think. I can remember a a few years ago when I was in my church office, I was getting ready for Christmas. The date was December 19th. And as I was sitting there at my desk, the phone rang. And so I I picked up the phone and a woman on the other end of the line, she said, "Uh, hello, are are you the pastor? And she said, "Uh, you don't know me, but I'm I'm engaged and I'm going to get married. And the other day I was driving through town and I went past your church. And as I was driving past, I thought, oh, what a beautiful little church. I would love to get married in a church like that. And so she said, I'm just wondering, what, what would I have to do to get married in your church? And I said, well, first of all, let me congratulate you and your fiancé on your engagement. I'm so happy for you that you're, you're taking this step together. I said, if you'd like to get married in the church, here's what we would do. I'd, I'd want to meet with you and your fiancé just to get to know you some. 
And then we would meet a few times, and, and I would make sure that you've really thought this through. We would talk about finances, and, and we would talk about children, and we would talk about where a faith community fits in your life. And then I said, if, if all of that goes well, then we can start working on, on planning a wedding. I went through all of that with this woman, and then there was dead silence on the other end of the line. And after a good long pause, finally the woman spoke again. And this is what she said. She said, so can you do all of that in a week? I said, well, when do you want to get married? And she said, well, we were really hoping for Christmas Eve. And this time it was my turn to give her a a good long pause. And then finally I, I said to this woman, I said, well, here's the thing. I said, we're already booked on Christmas Eve because, you know, we're a church and Christmas is kind of our thing. And I said, and even if we weren't already booked on Christmas Eve, I have a policy about short notice weddings. And my policy is that I don't do short notice weddings because in my experience, what I've learned is that short notice weddings often lead to short term marriages. That's what I told the woman on the phone, and that's what I told the church member when he asked me if I would would do this wedding for his friends. But he was persistent, and he said, Pastor Jeremy, please, just meet with this couple. If you would just meet with them, I have a feeling that maybe just this once you would make an exception to your policy. And so finally, I, I gave in, and I agreed to meet with the couple. And so we sat down together a couple days later, and I started asking this couple all of the questions that I I asked people. I asked them about finances, and I asked them about children, and I asked them about where faith fit in their lives. And as we were talking to each other, I became more and more impressed with this couple. They had really good answers to every question that I asked them. It was obvious that they had spent a a lot of time and put a lot of effort into thinking through their life together and thinking through what marriage meant. And finally, after we had been talking for a while, I looked at them and I said, I just just have to ask you this question. I said, it's clear to me that you have put a lot of thought into your, your marriage and you've done a lot of planning for your life together. And I said, that's great. I said, usually I'm, I'm dealing with couples where it's just, just the opposite. Usually I'm, I'm talking to couples who have put an awful lot of energy into planning the wedding, but they haven't spent any time at all thinking about what happens after the wedding and, and what a marriage looks like. I said, but with you, it's, it's just the opposite. You have put all of this energy and work and effort into planning your marriage, but it seems like you have put no time at all into planning your wedding. I said, how is it that, that we are throwing all of this together at the last minute? What's going on here? And so this couple told me the rest of their story. It turns out that this couple had been planning this wedding for, for close to a year. Many, many months before, they had gone to their pastor and they had asked their pastor if if they could get married at their church. And the pastors agreed to to start the premarital counseling with them. And so at the very first premarital counseling meeting, the pastor discovered that the bride-to-be had been married before. And this was a church that had, had some pretty strict ideas about divorce and remarriage. And so the pastor said to the couple, well, I'm going to have to think about this and I'm going to have to talk to the elders of the church. And so the pastor prayed on it some and then he, he went and he talked to the elders of the church. And finally he got back to this couple and, and he said, okay, he said, everybody agrees that we're good to go. Everybody agrees that it's okay for us to, to have this wedding at the church. And so they went on planning their wedding. 
Now, they went through several months of premarital counseling, and they ordered a cake, and they bought a dress and sent out invitations. They got a a marriage license. They did all of the things that you do when you're getting married. And then, just a week before the wedding, they got a phone call from the pastor. And the pastor, he said to this couple, he said, "I'm, I'm so sorry about this. He said, but here's the thing. He said, last night I had a dream. And in this dream, God spoke to me. And in this dream, God told me that you are making a big mistake. God told me that I shouldn't have anything to do with this wedding. God told me that you both need to repent of your sins and call the whole thing off. And so he said, I am so sorry to have to say this to you. And I know that this is probably an inconvenience, but I can't be part of the wedding and your wedding can't happen in the church. And that's the point when the couple came to me. Well, you can probably guess that I agreed to go ahead with the wedding, and we had a beautiful wedding. It was one of the most joyous weddings that I've ever been a part of. And I was happy to to go ahead and help this couple out. I was happy to make an exception to my usual policy about short-notice weddings because the thing is, if there's one thing that burns my biscuits more than a short-notice wedding, it's people who start sentences with the words, God told me. Now, you might have noticed that there are no shortage of people in the world who are perfectly happy to tell you exactly what God is thinking. And you might have noticed that this world is filled with people who always are entirely confident that they know exactly what is on God's mind. And that's especially true at a moment like this. In moments of crisis, In moments of disaster and catastrophe, it seems like there are people and preachers who come crawling out of the woodwork to let us know why all of these things are happening and and what God is doing and what God is up to right now. And the other day I read about a, a pastor who was preaching that the coronavirus is God's way of punishing China for the sins of communism. And then I read another article about a pastor who is preaching that the coronavirus is God's way of punishing the United States for the sins of capitalism. And then I read about a preacher who is is claiming that God told him that, that the coronavirus is God's way of warning us not to accept LGBTQ people. And then I read about another preacher who is claiming that God told him that, that God is warning all of us that we need to take better care of the environment. Right now, there is no shortage of preachers and people who are perfectly happy to tell us exactly what God is thinking, who are entirely confident that they have a direct line into the mind of God right now. And when it comes to people like that, when it comes to people who are are so confident that they know exactly what God is thinking, I have a policy. And my policy is not to believe them. My policy is to ignore them. And the reason that I don't believe them is because I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, that the people who start sentences with the words, God told me, and the people who claim to receive these direct messages from God, the voices that they hear, the voice of God that they claim to hear, almost always sounds exactly like their own voice. And nobody ever climbs up into a pulpit and says, hey, everybody, I've got to share this with you. God, God spoke to me last night. And what God told me is that, that I've been wrong about just about everything. People never say that. Instead, what people say is, everybody, guess what? God, God gave me a message. And what God told me is that I've been right about everything all along. 
And God told me that, that God is a lot like me and God is worried about the things that I'm worried about and God is concerned about the sins that I'm concerned about. What God told me is that, that you all are wicked and you need to repent of your sins. And I have a policy when it comes to people like that and my policy is to ignore those people. And as your pastor, I'm giving you permission to ignore those people too. If people come to you claiming that they have a direct line into the mind of God, that they're receiving messages from God, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, God revealed to me why, why the coronavirus is happening and their explanation involves God, but it doesn't involve germs and washing your hands and infectious diseases, then you have my permission. And in fact, I encourage you to walk away. Don't listen to those people. Just ignore them. You know, my policy when it comes to people who claim to know the will of God is that I don't believe them and I don't pay any attention to them. And there is only one exception to that rule. And of course, the exception is Jesus. And in today's gospel reading, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. After Jesus sat at the table and ate a meal with his disciples, he went out to this place where there was a, an orchard. There were all of these olive trees. And Jesus went out there with his disciples in the evening and he he got down under one of those olive trees and he fell to the ground. And in this moment, as we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is in anguish. Jesus is experiencing agony because Jesus knows exactly what is about to happen. And Jesus knows what God's will is for the next few days of his life. And Jesus knows that one of his disciples has already betrayed him. And he knows that the rest of his disciples are about to abandon him. And he knows that he is about to be arrested and tortured and nailed to a cross. And so there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus falls to the ground under an olive tree. And then he cries out to God, his Father. And this is what Jesus says. He says, God, if there is any other way to do this, if there is any other way to, to save the world, then I am ready to talk about plan B. Jesus says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me because I don't want to drink from this cup. And we know what Jesus says to God there in the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't know what God says to Jesus, but we can guess what, what Jesus hears there on the ground under that olive tree. Jesus listens for God's voice for a moment. And after a good long pause, finally Jesus says, Okay, not my will, but yours be done. And this is why when Jesus says, I'm going to share with you the mind of God. And this is why when Jesus says, I'm going to share with you the heart of God, I believe Jesus in a way that I don't believe those other people and those other preachers. Because there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can see Jesus wrestling with the will of God. Most people, when they say, I got a message from God, they're about to tell you that they heard from God exactly what they expected to hear and exactly what they wanted to hear. But Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, hears from God the Father, the very last thing that he wants to hear. And the message that God gives to Jesus is not tell all of those people that they're wicked and that they need to shape up and repent of their sins. And the message that God gives to Jesus there in the garden is, I am calling you in these next few days to pour yourself out for the salvation of the world. And then that's what Jesus does. And because we see Jesus wrestling, 
And because we see that he doesn't hear God saying exactly what he wants to hear, when Jesus shares with us the mind and the heart of God, I believe Jesus in a way that I don't believe these other preachers. And this might sound strange considering everything that I've said so far, but I believe that we also can know the will of God. And I believe that it's possible for us to hear God's voice and receive God's guidance in the same way that Jesus hears God's voice and receives God's guidance there in the Garden of Gethsemane. How do we do that? How do we know what God's will is for our lives? Now, the other day I heard somebody give an answer to that question that I thought was, was helpful and profound. The other day I was uh, in a Facebook conversation. I was in a group where people were, were talking and arguing and debating the question of how can we know God's will for our lives and, and is it even possible for us to know God's will for our lives? I'm part of some pretty intense Facebook groups. And as people were talking and, and arguing with each other, one person chimed in and said something that I thought was, was so helpful and so powerful that I wanted to pass it along to you today. As people were talking about how can we know God's will, one person chimed in and this one person said, you know, I stopped asking that question a long time ago. This person said, years ago I stopped asking the question, what does God want to do with my life? And the reason I stopped asking that question was because I found it was too easy for me to take the word God and fill it with my own thoughts and my own feelings and prejudices and desires. It was too easy for me to answer that question exactly the way that I wanted to. And so now this person said, instead of asking the question, what does God want to do with my life? What is God's will for my life? Now I ask a different question. Now I ask the question, what does love want to do with my life? What is love's will for my life? And this person said, the Bible tells us that God is love. And so in any situation and in every situation, if we can figure out what is the loving thing and if we can do what is the loving thing, then we can be confident that we are accomplishing God's will in our lives and in that situation. And this person said there are some situations and there are some days when it's hard to know what is the the loving thing to do. What does love look like? And this person said when I get stuck like that, when I'm struggling to know what is the loving thing to do, He said, that's when I take a deep breath and I remind myself that love looks like Jesus sitting at the table breaking bread with his disciples. And I remind myself that love looks like Jesus praying in the garden. And I remind myself that love looks like Jesus forgiving his enemies even as they're nailing him to the cross. And if I can remember that, if I can remember that God is love and love looks like Jesus then in any situation at any moment in my life, I find that I can work out exactly what is God's will for me. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for Jesus who revealed your heart to us. We give you thanks for Jesus who revealed your will to us. We give you thanks for Jesus who wrestled with your will and showed us what it means to listen and to obey. God, we pray that in these, these days, these difficult days, that there would be moments when we remember to take a deep breath and search for your will, to reach out to you and, and remember that you are love and that love looks like Jesus. 
All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.